hearing those words, he is jealous for me. I heard it. I mean, I knew because it wasn't anything I believed myself, but it was, I love you and you are worthy. I've kept you here for a reason. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed podcast and YouTube channel. I'm your host, Michaela Nikolenko, and I started this show after finally finding my home in Christ. I grew up in a home with lots of abuse and addiction where Christianity became something that repelled me. I spent my early adulthood seeking God in other religions, tarot cards, psychedelics, and even myself. I didn't realize how much hell I had pulled up into my life until I came face to face with the dark side of the spirit world and Jesus fought hard to save me. Now I live to serve his will and host a platform where others can share their story too. If you're looking for a show that talks about real things and provides encouragement for those who have been to the dark side and back, this is the show for you. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and share this show with anyone that you feel might be encouraged by it too. Quick disclaimer, what we can agree on here is that we love Jesus and he is our Lord and Savior. I don't filter what my guests say, so there will most likely be something along the way that you don't agree with, and that's okay. I highly recommend spending time researching and praying about anything that gets said that might trouble you. With all that said, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the Raised and Redeemed family. Hey everybody, today we're talking to Devin Bauer. On TikTok, she goes by at the discovered disciple. And man, God so perfectly timed this episode in my life because today we're going to be talking about miracles, healing, and the love of Jesus. And I personally need a little bit more of that. So today, Devin is telling her story of being born into a Catholic family who almost aborted her to stay on par with the religious code. But by God's grace, she was given a chance at life. She then experienced different kinds of abuse and neglect from her parents, who were actually leaders in the church, and she still didn't lose her heart or understanding of God's true love for her. There were many trials and tribulations along the way, but she stands strong to tell us today how God kept her through each one of them. Without further ado, let's get on to the show. Okay. Good afternoon, Devin. Thank you so much for being on Raised and Redeemed today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. So it seems like there's a lot to your testimony. Um, There's a a few, you know, threads that I'm getting, a few themes, um, and just the way that God has kept you. He has kept you alive. Um, and he just continues to reveal himself to you and to your family. And, um, you know, there's been different things that you've been sharing with me just about, you know, illness, bringing you closer to him, sort of being like your thorn um, that draws you nearer to him. And just, you know, I'm just so inspired by, in spite of everything that you went through in your life, that it's just it's just brought you even closer to him. So I'm excited to hear your testimony and just have you here today. Thank you. I'm just I'm very excited that God's given me the green light because it's been so long that I've felt that call where I knew he was going to want me to share it at some point. And, you know, waiting on that green light is very difficult. And so you you know, tucking it in the back of my mind and just being like, okay, God, I trust that 
whenever the time is right, you're going to provide me with not just the opportunities, but what to say, because, you know, as I, as I was sharing with you a little bit before it is very hard for me sometimes to put words together my, you know, between having fibromyalgia and what that does to your brain, having uh, childhood trauma on top of PTSD from medical um, things that I've gone through, the amount and having, I had seven surgeries in two years and the amount of impact that that has on the brain is in and of itself very difficult to work through to the point where it can be very frustrating to have a conversation with me sometimes. And so for God to call me in the midst of this to where even, I mean, being in a, in a fibro flare currently that God's like, no, we're, we're going to do that despite what you're feeling. And thank God, you know, of course he's, he's blessed me with the ability, the, the voice that was almost gone, you know, I mean, truly I sounded like a gremlin almost like it was, there was no voice to be found. And then to be able two days later to still be on the show is just in and of itself showing and giving me the faith, you know, that I continue to need that reassurance because God knows our hearts. He knows what our needs are and no one else on earth not our spouses, not our kids, not our family can meet those needs in the way that Jesus does. Mm -hmm. And that is the, the one thing that has kept me close and closer to him as I've grown is knowing that he has proven himself time and time again, that I have a purpose and that no, no weapon is going to win because he has chosen me. And I struggled to believe that for so long. But when you step into that, not in a prideful way, but just an honored way of, no, I am chosen. I have been through all of this. And it isn't for a reason, for no reason. It's for a, a great purpose. And so having this opportunity, I just, I'm so excited. And even if it's one person, that's what I, go into, you know, anything that I do, no matter who I talk to, even if it's just one person that gets one little blurb out of what I've said, that means everything to me. I love that you mentioned the spiritual warfare leading up to this too. Like you just know that, um, well, A, you know, you're doing this on God's strength, not your own. Um, and also it's like for other people who are going into the domain of sharing their testimonies for the first time, I see it all the time, um, here on the podcast and with the guests that I have on, it's like, everybody gets attacked like before and after, and you just have to know that that's a part of it. Like the devil wants to discourage you. He doesn't want you to do this. So I was so glad when I saw you say that, that like, you know, that's him and you're not going to let him get you down. You're going to move forward. with Jesus's strength to come on and share your story today, I was like, yes, yes, you are. <laughs> and here I am. I cannot believe it. I mean, I just, I was like, I woke up this morning and my husband looked at me and I opened my mouth and said, good morning. And we just had the biggest smiles on our face because Aww. I was like, I talked, I yeah. talked something and hey, it wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't a gremlin. I wasn't. A gremlin. Yeah. So it was just like, thank you, Jesus. 
for just providing the way. And, you know, every battle that we lay at his feet, you know, I, so many times I want to pick up the sword and I have to look over at him now. And he says, set it down. It's not yours. It's my sword. I'm fighting for you, but you have to let me. Mm. And it took almost, I mean, almost killing me physically with me trying to do it with my own strength before I finally, you know, ended up in that place of complete surrender where I never knew, I I never thought I was going to leave the faith, but I just didn't know how I was going to get through it. I had no clue. I thought I was going to be alone. I thought I was going to be a single mom and I didn't know where I was going to go. I don't have family to move in with. I don't have those resources. And, you know, God's promises are yes and amen. And trusting that my marriage wasn't over when I was looking up lawyers, like that's, that's a really hard place of trust to be in. And well, let's sort of go back and paint that picture a little bit for people to understand just some of those battles that you have faced because what you're saying right now of realizing, you know, you have to put the sword down and let and let God help you. Um a lot of that is that's learned in in experience. So you had to go through all these experiences to teach you that. So I want to go back to childhood. Um starting at the beginning, your your walk with God here here in this life. Would you just sort of paint that picture for us? Yes. So um I mean I showed you but I probably wear it everywhere. It's called my Save the Babies tea. It's from Hope Outfitters who they have um as far as I've read an amazing mission. Um they donate um funds and so from from every sale and so that um alone, you know, speaks to my heart but um I was born to a, a mom that was pregnant at 15 to a you know, the bad boy in town that uh, she wasn't supposed to be with. And um, she grew up in a Roman Catholic house where you don't go outside of the faith. You don't go outside of it whatsoever. You do what the Bible says, and that is it. And you keep your secrets in that drawer. It's between you and God and your confessions. That's it. Nobody outside of the house knows. And so when my mom went to my grandparents and told them, they were going to force her to abort me. And my dad at 17 stepped in after they attempted to have him arrested. He was punched in the face. He was like, that is life threatened. I mean, insane things because he was stepping in and saying, no, that's my baby too. And I do have a say. And so does she. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. And from a very young age, I mean, starting at three, I would have this recurring dream that I, I mean, now I realize was a vision. Um, uh, just up until the last few weeks ago, I didn't know, but it was this dream where I would go into this beautiful house. And when I walked in, it was this dark, gloomy, gargoyle, like, hunchback of Notre Dame type feel castle. And at each point along the path was one of my loved ones. And I would run to them in fear and they would pick me up. And it was them when they picked me up. But when I looked at them, when they picked me up, their face turned into a demon. 
I thought it was a monster. That's what I called it, of course, at three. And it happened with every person. And now, growing up and being at this point, every person, every family member that was in that house, in that dream, in that vision, was dangerous to me Mm. and is no longer a part of my life that I thought they were or they aren't in that place that I thought they were in my life. And so from the very beginning, I knew that there was something different about me, that there was something in me that made people angry. Mm. There was something in me that made people not like me. And all I wanted was to be liked. All I wanted was to be loved. Having been born into that environment, um, we lived with my grandparents. Shockingly, once I was born, my grandparents decided that they wanted a second chance of parenting. Um, They would literally tell me this as a child, that they don't know where they went wrong with my mom. And so I was their second chance at raising a daughter. So my poor mother, I don't know how she, how do you thrive in that environment? And so, you know, we moved around a bit and we would live with them on and off. And we, you know, continued to go to our, you know, our Roman Catholic service every Sunday, like everything was sunshine and rainbows. And when I turned eight, um, I had my first communion. And then um, not long after that, my dad decided that he was going to start a non-denominational church with his um, high school best friend. Mm -hmm. And so it caused a lot of turmoil in my, you know, with my grandparents and my mom, my mom didn't even originally come. um, And it took my grandparents years to even consider it. And so the first few weeks of service at the new church, um, you know, that was the first time I had experienced kids church. And so the children's director, she would do uh, the salvation prayer at the end of every, you know, uh, kids service. And every week I would raise my hand. Mm -hmm. And finally, after like four weeks of this, she pulled me aside and said, you know, seven, sweetie, why do you keep raising your hand every week? And I said, well, it's because I did bad things last week. I did lots of bad things all over, you know, all over the place. I wasn't perfect. I didn't do what Jesus said to do all week. And she put her hand on mine and I'll never forget it. And she said, that's why he did what he did. Oh, my goodness. The pastor at the time, he used to say it. I don't really like the analogy, but it helped me as a child. I love analogies to understand things. He used to say, you know, you, if you have that relationship with God and you believe that he died for you, you can basically swing over hell on a spaghetti noodle. I don't go suggesting it, you know, but I thought that that spaghetti noodle was going to break at any moment. I thought that I was that bad that I had to be resaved every week. Yeah. Because of the Catholic ideology of, um, what is it? The confession. Is that yeah. everything? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's whenever you feel that you are due, it's kind of like on your own terms. Or I think technically you're supposed to every week, but yeah. even, I mean, we kind of have a running joke that m- most, most Roman Catholics, at least in our area, there was a lot of Italians that settled along the Erie Canal um, near Lake Ontario. 
And so um, kind of this running joke that we're, it's like Easter Christmas, you know, yep, services, yep. the Easter Christmas Christians. Um, and so that's kind of like I went, but I would fall asleep in the pew. And so hearing worship music for the first time, I remember that experience and going, this is God. This is God. Wow. Not you know, Jesus loves the little children as much as I could sing that song and it's cute, you know, uh, or the B-I-B-L-E. I didn't know what those actually meant until somebody sat down with me and said, this is actually what Jesus did. It's more than just a hymn in a book or even what the words say. It's behind the words because that word is living, breathing and ever present. It's never irrelevant. It applies the same today as it did yesterday, as it did the day it was written. And that to me, loving poetry, having an artistic, creative type brain has always just been so beautiful to me. Yeah. And And at eight years old, you understood this. If you're in a relationship and trying to figure out if he's the one, or maybe you're recently single and taking a step back to figure out how to best go about finding the one, I have the ebook for you. Head over to the link in my bio or in the comment section from wherever you're listening to find my latest ebook, How to Know If He's the One. In this ebook, I share the worst of my relational mistakes and how Jesus finally showed me there was a better way. Gradually, he began to mend my heart. And I know he will do the same for you too. Unfortunately, because of that fear that I think my family felt towards me, because I mean, I could understand I was saying things and I, I would stand up to whoever it was. I didn't care. Um, I just cared that it went against Jesus. And I tried to be um, assertive, which is speaking truth and kindness. It's, you know, speaking truth and love. Assertiveness is not being mean. You know, it's not always because that's what I was taught. Assertive and aggressive went hand in hand because you have to stay quiet about what happens at home. Mm. And so the more I came aware, the more God got a hold of my heart, the more they wanted to silence me, my own family. And I didn't understand why. Yeah. Um, And now that I understand that vision, it has given me such peace knowing that, you know, I, that God was with me the whole time, even though I became the prodigal after becoming saved from, you know, trying to survive through high school with verbally, mentally, physically abusive father and a severely narcissistic, emotionally detached mother who chased materialistic things, I didn't know what love was. I didn't know what attachment was. I didn't understand what a what a parental love looked like. And even though I understood and knew and loved Jesus, it wasn't until after high school and after I went through that constant stumbling that you do as a teenager, you know, and you're trying to figure yourself out anyway, even with parents that are helpful. I clung to any family that I could. 
that resembled normalcy or love or God in any way, shape or form. And, you know, I ended up unfortunately moving out the two months after graduating high school because I wanted to go to a Christian college. Mm -hmm. And even though there was financially the ability to help me, there was no help to be found because I was a girl. Um, I have three younger brothers and I had become the scapegoat. They spent thousands on um, my brother who's six years younger than me um, and for baseball. And yet I wanted to go to a Christian college and was made to feel as though I wanted to go just party away my degree. And I ended up getting just by the, the strength of God, because by that point I had been such a doormat and I had a four, my youngest brother was only four. He was four, no, two, two when I moved out. Um, because there is more age difference between he and I than there is between my mom and I. So I became his mother mm. and I had to leave him. I had to leave the other two. And um, I literally showed up at a friend's doorstep because I didn't have a phone. My phone was shut off. I didn't know it then, but I didn't have plates on my car because he had taken them off. Um what I could. I, they left for the weekend for a tournament for my brother's baseball. And I just had decided I was moving. And I showed up and was taken in to a family that wasn't even, they didn't even go to church. And they never questioned it at all. And my friend's mom sat there sobbing the whole night, wondering why I had to park my car and hide it behind their house so that we could keep me safe and hidden. She didn't understand how a parent could do that and put their child in that position. I want to ask you a little bit about that because I, I think, you know, it definitely took me by surprise and it might for some of the listeners, you know, like this is the same guy that like left and started a church and, you know, your mom went with him. So how how did that look like? How did that happen that he's the pastor but you're experiencing all this abuse at home. And the second part to that question is, did this alter how you felt about Jesus at the time? It did. Honestly, it, it almost got me. I mean, I, I, I will be 100% transparent in saying I was suicidal from 15 through 18. Um, I just didn't think I could do it anymore because I had seen such a drastic change in him. And I think what I witnessed in him is what I think a lot of people that have experienced church hurt from pastors um, can relate to is that a pastor is a human, um, you know, just like anyone else. They have more responsibility, but they are, in my opinion, they seem to be tempted even harder. And so what it seemed to be to me, I mean, I led worship with this man. We prayed together. He he tried so hard at first to keep us safe. And then it was like the, the pride and the shame and the arrogance of I came from nothing. He came from eating Twinkies for two weeks in a row. 
because they didn't have anything to now he had made a name for himself as a as a teacher a secondary teacher with a master's degree who was married with children mm-hmm. and was an assistant pastor leading worship at a church and i think i i just i started to see that separation where it was like the praise and the worship became less about god and more about him mm-hmm. he started to produce music and he started a christian band mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he started producing rap music that oh. wasn't for for christians it wasn't about god and it wasn't used as an opportunity to draw people in it was just hey it's money and my mom was taking out loans in my dad's name and putting them more and more in debt and it still has continued through this day and so i watched this transformation happen slowly but surely. And when I would call them out on it and just ask questions, not be rude, not to dishonor because that part of me wanted to honor my parents and I had to protect my brothers as well. So I thought, and so, you know, I just started to question what is going on, God, what mom and dad, what is going on? Why don't I feel like we're on this team anymore together? And it that was when the break happened because I questioned too much and was threatened as a result that if I spoke out that I mean the I was it was threatened to call the cops on me that I stole property um because I had taken my laptop and my mattress that I slept on um and because I'd moved out whatever I could over the weekend while they were gone. And so I remember the first few days, and I mean, this was truly the turning point where, yes, I was saved at eight and I knew God loved me, but I, it wasn't until this, this day that I'm referring to that I knew what a fatherly love actually looked like. And so I had my Bible open and I don't even, couldn't even tell you where I was in in the Bible, I just know I fell asleep, dozed off. And I, you know, something said, turn on the radio. And, you know, then it was still the adjustable little FM where you had to scan with that little, you know, that little ridged uh, knob that, you know, to find your station. And I found Caleb and I, I, I wrote it down because I literally, it still gives me goosebumps to this day. And just, uh, he's such a good God. So I turned on the radio and I hear the radio host instantly, not anything else. I didn't catch the tail end of anything. I turn on the radio, get to Caleb and it says, I don't know who, but somebody right now needs to hear that God loves them. And I had been contemplating ending my life that day. And so they finished talking and said, you know, whoever this song is for, please just know that God loves you. And (laughs) David Crowder, How He Loves, came on. (laughs) And the first lyrics are, he is jealous for me. And I dropped to my knees and went, what? 
what does that even mean? He's jealous for me. And I made it my mission that day to figure out what that meant because I just knew that I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked somebody being jealous over me. Yeah. No one ever had been. And if they were, it was fake because I was used as a pawn to get, you know, my grandparents would use me as a pawn to get what they wanted from my parents and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so hearing those words, he is jealous for me. I heard it. I mean, as much as, you know, and it's, of course, it's different for everyone, but how God's, you know, of course, how God's voice sounds to you. But I knew because it wasn't anything I believed myself, but it was, I love you and you are worthy. I've kept you here for a reason. At three years old, the same year I was having those nightmares for a year straight. There was a day that my mom was going to work. She had, my grandma was supposed to watch me and had to call off at the last minute. And um, so my mom was going to have to um, bring me with her to work. She waitressed, not ideal. Um, And my grandma called back and said, you know what? I, my plans got canceled. I can take her. On the way to work that day. It was winter, and my mom wrapped her car around a telephone pole. And the only place where anyone could have survived, I wish I had pictures of it. There's somewhere that my dad has, but unfortunately, being no contact, can't really get them from him. Um, but it was this little red box car, you know, those 90s, it was a dark red box car, and it was wrapped around the pole. And the only place that someone could have survived was where my mom was, which was wedged under the steering wheel. My car seat was completely crushed into smithereens and would have been dead. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. I would have been dead. Mm. And that's just one, one of the car accidents that I've been in that I should have been dead. And every time, I felt like, you know, I look back now and God was just like, see, I had you. And that all encompassing moment of hearing he is jealous for me. It was like, this is why, Devin, this is why I've been fighting for you. Do you see why I won these battles for you? It's because I love you. It's because I want you here. It's because I have a purpose that you will fulfill and you're not going to understand it right now. And that was. 13 years ago, I just turned 31 and I'm just starting now to understand some of his promises. Mm. And so that patience between, you know, the, all of those years, even those three years of feeling suicidal, those years were the, some of the hardest of my life. And I questioned and felt like David. I mean, the amount of times I read the Psalms where he was angry yeah, and I justified it because I'm like, see, David did it. I can do it too. <laughs> I can be mad at God too. And I know he laughs at me now about that because, you know, I just wanted something to put the blame on. I didn't care what it was. I just didn't want to feel that anymore. And so. 
hearing those words, being set free, finding the strength that God gave me to move out despite being threatened by the people that gave me life and fought for me to have that life, which didn't make any sense to me. It was like, okay, God, if you, if you did that, I want to know what else you have in store. A year and a half later, after two weeks after I had said, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I hadn't dated anybody. I didn't care. I just knew I was going to be married young. I knew it. All my friends thought I was crazy, but they also knew that I was, it was probably going to happen. I was going to make it happen, whether it was healthy or not. That's what they thought. And so, you know, I didn't, I, I broke up with a high school boyfriend my senior year and stayed single for that year and a half. And, um, I, I had just said, okay, God, I'm done. I moved out. I had found my freedom. I was like, I'm going to live my best life with my best girlfriends. And, you know, I, I just like driving around and being, getting to make my own decisions. I didn't even rebel that much besides dyeing my hair from blonde to like dark brown. That was like the big rebellion. And so, um, you know, I spent that year and a half going, where, where is God? Where is God? Come on, God. I'm not getting any younger God. And, you know, I'm like, I'm, I was 18, 19 years old, (laughs) you know, what was I thinking? And I had just, I had first for the first time laid it at his feet and practiced what that looked like. And two weeks later was when I get a text from my now best friend, but then we really weren't we were close, but we had just started getting started getting closer again um, from high school. And she had texted me and bluntly said, you know, I've got a guy that I'm working with at this golf course and you're going to go on a date with him. And I was like, okay, first of all, blind dates are kind of sketchy. Yeah. And second of all, like I just got down with like being single. So can I just enjoy that? And she was like, no, you, you can't. And I knew God was saying, no, you can't like, and thing is, is, She's still my, but she's not a Christian. She knows I, I'm, you know, I, I witnesses all the time. <laughs> I'm always talking about God to her, but it wasn't like something she prayed over, yeah. you know, it was nothing in it. There were a million times being one town apart from small towns that we should have met and we didn't. And two weeks, it was two weeks after I had laid it at his feet that I get this text. Mm-hmm. And the second we met and locked eyes, we both knew. And we were together till three o'clock in the morning that night and have been together ever since. And that was at 19. And how you said that, like the second you laid it at God's feet, then he goes and gives this to you because I tell my single friends and just other friends who are like, are really wanting something. I remember learning, it was like Abraham's story of where he was going to go sacrifice his son And then God at the last second provided the ram so he didn't have to sacrifice his son. And so it's like the moment you trust God, you you lay it down at God's feet. It's like, I just see that happen all the time where he gives you that thing that you wanted so bad the moment you just let it go and trust him with it. So I love that. That's beautiful. But also like everything that God gives us, Satan tries to steal. So this happened later on in your marriage as well. So would you want to walk us through that? Absolutely. I mean, gosh, just even dating, he was, you know, he was still Roman Catholic at the time and wasn't saved until two weeks before getting engaged. And that whole time that we dated, two years that we dated before we got engaged, 
questioned, he, you know, took me through the Bible and why do you believe this first, but not this and not in a way to tear me down, but truly out of, you know, inquisitiveness. And, um, so, you know, we walked into marriage as I think so many young, especially young Christian couples do. We walk into it thinking, okay, God's given me the blessing and now I'm going to reap what I've sown. Right. Mm -hmm. No, we are just starting to plant the seeds. And then you have kids on top of it and you are handed a whole nother set mm-hmm. on a silver platter of trials and tribulations. And, um, you know, like I had shared before we started the the verses that God has brought me to the last couple of days in Matthew um, chapter 12. And I, I should have written it down. I believe it's for, it starts in verse 42 or 43. And it talks about how when you cast out, a, you know, a demon, they go out into the desolate and they try and find another, you know, place to go. And when they can't, they return to the host and see that, you know, if we haven't filled that space with Jesus, if we haven't filled it with God's love and protection and armor, then it's ready to occupy. It's free to move in. They can they can go be a squatter. And so they go get seven friends to come back. And so we get ignorant and think, okay, the battle's done. We've, you know, the, the test is over. We've stepped into marriage. It's gonna, we're gonna learn together. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be glorious. We're gonna glorify God with everything we do. And <laughs> you very quickly learn your opposite people. Uh, most of the time, or there's something that comes to light that you realize we need that third cord. And if you don't have that third cord, it is not going to stay together. And, you know, we've had some ups and downs. I mean, we had twins at 24 and that alone, it was a high risk pregnancy where they had one placenta. I delivered at 36 weeks. I had preeclampsia. I needed a blood transfusion after. Um, it was a very scary time and our marriage suffered greatly. And, you know, I thought that was bad. And then in January of 2020, before COVID even started, my health took a very serious decline, um, after I stopped nursing our youngest. And so, um, I have just the short list, endometriosis, um, PCOS, uh, fibromyalgia, uh, PTSD, CPTSD, ADHD, OCD, depression, anxiety. Um, fibromyalgia was not diagnosed or unfortunately set off until my health issues began. Um, but of course, when anytime there's a role shift in marriage in general, which there's role shifts when you get sick, there's role shifts when you have a baby, there's role shifts when you get a new job. But this was something that we, you know, we thought we were ready for role shifts. We had done it before, twice when we had the twins and when we had our youngest. We were like, okay, I'm sick, but we're going to get through this. We thought it was going to be, you know, this uh, quick little trial. And it, it very quickly turned into not. And between the the time frame of June 2020 to April of 
2021. 20, yeah, 20, or no, 2022. Um, yeah, wow, April of 20, not even two years, I had seven surgeries. Um, I'm down to one ovary, uh, so I can no longer have kids of my own. Um, two weeks before I had my hysterectomy, I had a miscarriage um, that had been kind of my my prayer to God of, if we're meant to have a fourth baby, I'll get pregnant before the surgery. And I did. And um, so, you know, all of those things put an insane amount of stress and pressure. And then we realized how much trauma I have childhood. Yeah. And then we realized my husband had some childhood trauma as well. And so we started getting into therapy. And when you open those boxes, they can't be closed. Yeah. When you start choosing healing, you have to commit or you have to shut the door and turn away and never look back because it'll eat you alive. That's it's the biggest fork in the road that will break a marriage if you don't both choose to go down the path of healing. And that's even if only like like I said, initially we thought it was just me that was the broken one, you know? We thought it was just me that needed the help, the healing, the intense healing. And not to say my husband's, you know, he's not having health issues like I do. He's not, he doesn't, he doesn't have the level of trauma that I do, but he's been through all of this with me. He does have trauma. He does have things that, you know, he's human. And so we were this close six months ago to going those separate ways to where I had looked up lawyers and I had told him, I can't do this anymore because I'm broken down. Mm-hmm. I had gotten to the point where I thought God wanted me to just learn how to be alone with my family. No, no. God wanted me to learn what to, it meant to truly be set apart in his definition, not mine. It didn't mean you're going to lose friends. It, sometimes it does. A lot of times it does. Yeah. And this time it also meant that I could, that Abraham moment, I could possibly lose my marriage too and truly be all alone. And I just remember one day curled up on my bathroom floor with a towel that just happened to be in reach after my shower and just laying in my robe on the ground, using this towel to sob into and going, God, I don't know how much more alone I can get. What What do you want from me? I'm not leaving you. I've been obedient. I've been doing what you tell me to do. Why isn't this getting any better? Why aren't you blessing my marriage? And he very clearly answered, because you're not satisfied in being alone with me. You want, you want everything else to satisfy you. You want the marriage to satisfy you. You want the church group to satisfy you, the mom group, the friend group. And all of those have fallen apart, haven't they? Mm-hmm. And I just sat there like, yeah, obviously they've fallen apart. I'm, I have lawyers pulled up on my phone. Yes, they've fallen apart. Everything's gone. I'm going to have a split house. I was supposed to be the generational cycle breaker family God. And he said, trust me anyway, just don't give up on me yet. 
don't give up on my promises because I promised you that this marriage was for you. You knew that the day you stood at that altar, even if I tr Satan tried to attack them too. God promised me on that day that it was going to be my husband and I as one flesh yeah. for the rest of my days. Oh my God. No matter God. how long they are. Not being afraid to speak to him. That was the biggest difference was I had been scared that he was going to critique me or judge me or think I was loony tin hat, you know, tinfoil hat kind of level because the level of spiritual awakening that happens when you lay things at God's feet. I was hearing things. I was seeing things. Yeah. I was experiencing things that I thought only happened in a Pentecostal church that I had heard about it. Yeah. But then I'm closing my eyes and seeing orbs of light in the pitch black. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing instead of lies, I'm hearing a choir, a very faint choir. <laughs> and like things that just don't make sense. And I'm calling things out in arguments with my husband. No, this is not you. This is Satan attacking. And I need you to see that. It took me memorizing scripture surrounding my marriage because I didn't need to go to any more books. I didn't need to go to any more devotionals as wonderful and as helpful and as beneficial as they can be for seasons of life. I was at the point where God said, no, you need this. Yeah, That's it. This is the only devotional you need. Maybe besides Jesus calling, because I'm, I'll take yeah. that one to my grave too, because I love that one. Because it's the same every year, you know, you get to March 31st every year, it's the same thing. Yeah. And you get something just like the Bible, you get something different every time you read these verses. And I start, I say, okay, God, it doesn't make sense. And I'm going to get burned, but I'm going to trust you anyway. And I did. I was burned. And it felt like I was kicked while I was down more than I can even describe. And I still somehow, it was, it was purely God's strength. Anytime I, I was running low, it was, okay, God, please. And some days that's all I had. It wasn't extensive prayers. It wasn't going to the Psalms and reading out of David, you know, what David said. It was remembering maybe a few words he had said, but there were days, and, and especially that day on the floor, all I could do was whisper, God, please help. And he did. I love how it's those most desperate moments that we come into contact with God in the most clear and concise ways. Like those, the moments that we think are the worst, like we think we're just at the rock bottom of our lives. That's where we often meet God. If our hearts are open to doing so, like if you just cry out <laughs> exactly. and that it looks, it's difficult because you don't realize how much you place your trust in other things. You don't like, you just don't realize until things are stripped away. And then you're like, Oh crud. I was relying on that friendship. I was relying on that person. I was relying on that thing, that security blanket. And it didn't come through. Yeah. But when I relied on God and I truly opened my heart and I found that place 
where I can go in my head. And I've heard it referred to as like your mind palace, you know, like where you go and it's just you and God. And mine is just simply a meadow. It's just, I don't see Jesus or God, but I know he's there. There's no, you know, some people have a visual of what Jesus or God looks like. For me, it's just this beautiful sun filled, flower filled meadow with wildflowers and a bench. And I just go and I just sit on my bench and all I hear is God. And that is the most beautiful miracle of a gift to someone who only hears these intrusive thoughts most of the time. I didn't even know people didn't have an internal monologue that some people don't have that. My husband doesn't have that. He's really? like, you don't, yeah. he's, he's like, you hear voices. I'm like, I sing in my head. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm singing in my head most of the time. Like Wait, he said that he, I, I did. Oh. I said, I sing most. And he's like, that's, I don't know if that's normal. And then we went to marriage therapy and she was like, yeah, I do that too. And he was like, Yes. So oh, okay. I always ask my husband what he's thinking, like, because I'm always thinking something. There's always some kind of thoughts. And and I actually love that you said that. Like you said in the beginning, if this can be just for one person, like I'm getting so much out of this too. And I have a lot of of those like intrusive thoughts. You know, I get a lot of I struggle with anxiety and depression and things like this. And every day I wake up, I have to I read my Bible first and I pray and I just I have to like convince myself it's going to be a great day. And I know that sounds, I don't know. That sounds weird. No, no. I, I, if you look at the, I don't know if you have that devotional, but the, or actually, no, it was one of my, it was, it's called fighting words. And it talked about just that of waking up each day and entrusting to God again. It is not easy. And it sounds like there's some days where, the enemy gets into my head and he's like, you really have to do this every day. Like you really don't trust God that much that you have to do this every single day. And I can't let, like it's learning what the enemy's voice sounds like versus what God's voice sounds like. And it's, it comes starting off what helped me with the level of intrusive thoughts that I was having. I mean, I felt schizophrenic at times. And I mean that sincerely because it was like six, seven voices all saying different things. And it took me remembering, I have not given you a spirit of fear. I have not given you a a voice of confusion. I have given you, you know, uh, like a, a spirit of peace and grace and, and like joy. All of these things, they counteract. I just want to emphasize just how profound that was for me. Like the way that you explained the the place that you go to, you called it your mind palace um, because I'm very visual. So when you describe it, I think you said sunflowers and like it's sunny and you just sit on this bench. Um, I've been actively, you know, I, I figure I'm figuring out the tools. I'm a few years into my walk with Jesus. So I'm figuring out the tools to combat this mental illness, the the PTSD, the anxieties, the depressions, all these things, the overwhelming sense of fear. You know, I'm finding ways, you know, with prayer, with staying in the word, but yet like I'm still, I've been crying out to God a lot because like there's more. I just want more, like I want more of him, you know, and I'm trying to figure these things out. 
Um, and so I even downloaded like the the Bible meditation apps and and different things like this. But the way that you just drew that picture for me of your mind palace, like that, that's like a little, that's a little gem for me. Like that's a little jewel that I'm going to take. I'm glad because yeah. it helped so much for me as well. Truly. Yeah. I think about my grandpa when he was alive, he used to tell me, if you ever want to find me, go sit in a tulip field somewhere And I'm like, I don't know where I'm supposed to find a tulip field. But so it kind of gives me that visual of like creating something like that in my mind. Like for some people, it may be a beach, a sunset beach. For me, I could see it being like a flower field too, you know, at sunset. And and just knowing like God is going to meet me here and just closing your eyes and breathing and listening. Yeah, that's a asking. All I do is just say, God, fill me with you. Just fill me with you. And I have chronic pain that I, I mean, I take pain medicine daily for uh, like to sleep Um, in the morning. It's very rough. It'll be so bad that I can't grip my, my coffee cup some days. And so um, I have that for when I need it. And there are days where even that doesn't touch it. And I have to go to God and I go to that space. I close everything else down and I imagine that place and just sitting on the bench. Mm. And it's just the most peaceful thing because then everything else shuts out. And he's like, hi, <laughs> back. Oh my I, God. I missed you. And my pain goes away, my anxiety, the depression. And this is someone who has had severe panic attacks that I have, we have a list that we came up with, with my individual therapist of what to do to help me when I have a PTSD episode. Mm -hmm. And, um, because, you know, for me, my panic attacks and PTSD episodes, they look very similar. Um, and so we have this whole protocol that my husband gets, he has a little written down list and he goes and gets it. I haven't needed to take that out. And I don't know how long. Mm. And it's because I can go to him finally because I under, but it's going through that journey. Like you said, you're in your journey. And I used to get so angry that I couldn't force myself. I knew the stuff, but I didn't actually know. I thought if you knew, you automatically understood and therefore you just could be. And that's not how it is. You have to be pruned, you have to be refined. You just have to trust that he's next to you while it's happening because it's painful, but he's going to help with the pain. (laughs) He's not going to leave you like he was left on the cross. He's not going to leave us like that. And he's made promises to me that I don't know. You know, there's been so many that have come true. That's why I still hold on to this hope. But I don't know when some of these are going to come true. But I know that he is a good God and that even if they weren't to come true, if I look more like him and I'm alone and I can be an example of what Jesus's love looks like, that's all that's ma- that matters anymore. Mm. I, don't, I don't care about the health. I don't, you know, I mean... I do. I take care of more organic, but I, I don't have that fear that, 
you know, the, not just the fear over medical, but the fear to speak, the fear to have a voice, yeah. the fear to share what is rightfully mine because it was given to me by God. I didn't, didn't do anything wrong by having a testimony. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong by being born. I didn't do anything wrong with the things that have happened to me. I've made mistakes along the way, but it's what we do with those mistakes. And like I said, with that fork in the road, when you get to that fork and you so clearly know, because it sounds like you've absolutely come to that fork where you have recognized that healing either needs to happen or it's not going to. You either do it or you shut it down. And when you step foot on that path, that narrow path of healing, God welcomes you with open arms. Yeah. But he also says, okay, here's your armor. Like you've got to put it on though. You can't just hold it under your arms and run through. You have to learn how to put on your armor. going to take a quick second here to tell you about Raised and Redeemed merch. I somehow end up in my bright pink Raised and Redeemed crew neck nearly every day because it's so comfy and I love to tell the world that I have been raised and redeemed in Jesus's name. And wearing something that says that is a great conversation starter. Not only do we have crew necks, but we also have t-shirts, hoodies, cropped hoodies, mugs, stickers, socks, and more. You can either follow the link titled Raised and Redeemed Merch in the comment section of wherever you're listening, click the link in any of my social media bios, or go to Raised and Redeemed, and that's spelled out, raisedandredeemed.creatorslashspring.com to order yours and support the show today. You know, even on TikTok now, I can't, I can't escape God. I, you know, most people, they use things like social media to get, you know, to escape, to disassociate. And I get on and it's like, I get someone with no hashtags. It's like, I'm talking to you. Yeah. Me hey God, what you got for me today? And, um, you know, that definitely does go into, I think I had mentioned about, you know, my, the God, the idea of God winks and, yeah. um, and I definitely love sharing about those because there's anything that, you know, helps when times are hard. God shows off in the best ways that it just, you know, is, is so just, it makes me laugh, but that joyful laugh, it's not laughing at God. It's laughing at just with like, him. yes, laughing with him. Like you care about me this much, like me, you us. for those who don't know, like what a God wink is. Can you just sort of try to put that into words? So to me, a God wink is sometimes it happens when I'm looking for it. And other times it happens out of the absolute blue. And so um, I had mentioned, you know, that uh, I had had the miscarriage a couple weeks before my hysterectomy. And it was a very, very unexpected pregnancy and very, very early pregnancy. I had just tested positive. I was in denial, didn't know what to think. And I started bleeding two days later. Um, one of my twins don't know how yet, and she's sick. So she's still trying to figure out how to put it into words, but she knows somehow that that baby was a boy. Hmm. She came up to me one day and said, mommy, what was his name? 
out of nowhere. And we hadn't been talking about the miscarriage. They know it happened, but we hadn't been talking about it. And I wasn't thinking about it. And I said, well, um, and this was a few months, probably about, eh, probably about four or five months ago. And um, I said, who's name, honey? And she said, the baby that went to be with Jesus. And I said, well, we don't, we don't know that it, that the baby was a boy, sweetheart. And she said, it was a boy. There was no arguing. There was no misunderstanding. And I get chills when they happen. And that was one definitely a God wink where I was like, okay. And she said, we need a name for this baby. And so one of the biggest God wings I've, I've ever gotten um, was just a few weeks ago. And I bought these cards last year. They're business card sized and it came in a huge stack and they're for kids. And each one has a Bible verse on it with a really pretty little picture, um, just very cutesy artsy. And so I was reading through some of these little scripture cards and I get to the verse, every good and perfect gift is from above. Mm -hmm. And so I read through the verse and I am better with the words. I can remember words better than I can remember where it is in the Bible. Um, rote memorization is not really my thing, but I can remember words better for verses. And so I read through the verse um, and I get to the bottom and it says James 1.17. And um, I instantly start sobbing and my girls are looking at me like, what, what's going on, mom? Um, <laughs> we had decided to name the baby James. Mm. And my birthday is January 17th, 117. Yes. And so... I just, I mean, talk about feeling the fullness of God. Yeah. yeah. I just felt his spirit in me and that it's this warmth when they happen that he's saying, I'm with you. Yeah. And in that moment, it was, what are, what are you, why are you sad still? Your baby's with me. Yeah. I've, I'm holding your baby right now, you know? James is safe and every good and perfect gift. Like I never met my baby, but I know I will one day. Yeah. And that promise alone gives me so much hope and faith. And I wasn't searching for it. I wasn't thinking about it. You know, just like when she said it was a boy, I wasn't thinking about my miscarriage then. I wasn't, you know, but he sees all parts of our heart. We know that he knows our hearts, but we forget that he sees every piece of it. Mm. Even the parts that we've tried to tuck away, which happens, especially when you have PTSD, you yep. tuck all of that away because it's too painful. And so God coming to me without me asking and saying, no, I'm here. Yeah. And I'm so sorry that, I, that that had to happen. But God knew I needed a very, he knows I need clear signs. He yeah. knows that about me. I think and so that was my prayer. If I'm going to get pregnant and have a fourth baby, it's going to be before the surgery. And I did get pregnant and I do have a fourth baby, just not with me. Yeah. And so Godwings are the the best thing that has 
ever happened to me, the best gift that he's ever given. And I didn't even notice them until the last year or two and kind of gave them that name where I could go back and look and be like, look, see, whether he was protecting me, whether he was giving me a sign in a sunset or a rainbow or something or a devotional or whatever it is, he has come through every single time. Every time I talk to a new friend, it says, how in the world have you stayed in the church? (laughs) It's not because of the church. It's because the church isn't God. The church is God's bride. And we can't put the church above God. We go to the church to worship God, to praise God, to, to be with him amongst other believers we don't go to him only at church. Yeah, amen. Oh, I mean, it's so been a lesson, a lesson to learn, but one that I would learn a million times over if it meant that I got to experience this type of love because I don't know anything else. I don't know what the love of a mother feels like. I know she tried. But I don't know what that secure attachment feels like to a mother or a father. I know what God and his love and a secure attachment to our heavenly father feels like. And that alone, I wouldn't trade for anything. And I will follow him to the ends of the earth and beyond because he has shown up when he didn't even need to. And he came chasing after me. When I tried to run away. (laughs) I love that you said that because that was actually one of the last things I wanted to ask you um, was to, to tie back to that, you know, the beginning of your story and to ask you if you would say a prayer for those who have been hurt by the church or, you know, somebody in the church, um, somebody who has just dealt with this similar kind of abuse and pain that's maybe warped their true perception of who God is and how strong his love is for them. Um, If there's anything else you wanted to say before that, but. um. No, honestly, I know I, I love that idea. And I, I just, my heart goes out so much to people that have experienced church hurt that if I can pray over someone experiencing that, I would love and be honored to do that. So absolutely. (laughs) All right. Dear Heavenly Father, I just, I first and foremost, thank you so much for giving me the strength to take this opportunity with Michaela to be on her podcast and to utilize the, uh, the platform that you have given her and blessed her with God. I thank you for her gifts that you have, that you have blessed her with. And Lord, to know that her walk with you is not even like is a, is a is a fraction of what so many of I'm sure her listeners have had and yet she is pursuing you in a way that I truly look up to and so lord first and foremost I want to thank you for this this opportunity and I pray that anyone listening that you would 
reach their hearts and that anything I say, Lord, is for you and from you. Because at the end of the day, I am broken just as all of us are broken. And I want nothing more than to speak from your heart, Lord, because ours are too wicked to speak from. So, Lord, at this time, I want to lift up anyone that has experienced or maybe is currently experiencing church hurt. Lord, the amount of people that I have encountered, it breaks my heart to know that your people, that my brothers and sisters in Christ have let down their fellow brothers and sisters. But Lord, I ask that you extend your vision and your grace and your definition of love and forgiveness and mercy to all of us. Because Lord, at the end of the day, we are forever going to be broken until we meet you again one day. Lord, help us to remember that any person we come in contact with, no matter how holy they may seem, they are still not you. And so, Lord, when we are broken down by people around us, whether it's a pastor of a church or a close friend or even a family member that we never thought would hurt us or let us down, Lord, help us to not only look at them with forgiveness and mercy and grace, but to also see them with compassion and love and to know that even if they fall short, they are still loved by you. And Lord, help us to find our identity in you and you alone so that when we are hurt, by those around us, when we do experience that hurt, we can see it through your lens, God, and not ours, because ours, our glasses are too broken. There, our prescription is beyond due. (laughs) And Lord, we need you, Jesus. We need your definition of everything. Faithfulness, grace, mercy, forgiveness, love, I could go on. I ask that you allow anyone listening to experience your fullness, your grace, and your mercy, and your love, because it is unlike anything we could ever experience. Jesus, your promises are yes and amen, no matter how broken this world is and how broken we may feel. I ask that you be with Michaela and anyone else listening today, Lord. We love you and thank you for the sacrifice that you didn't have to make that none of us would make for us so that we don't have to. And it is in your precious, holy, mighty name that I pray. Amen. Amen. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this show, I'd love to have you leave a review, share it with a friend, and even connect with me on other platforms. It's at Michaela Nikolenko on Instagram and TikTok. And we also have an at Raised and Redeemed Instagram account too. I look forward to connecting with you there. Until next time, stay well and God bless you.